listen, I just, uh, I wish I had time just to give you a report of all the phone calls that I've had this week and uh, how you are uh, making a difference in this world. Uh, uh, I don't know if they're listening right now. It's it's uh, nighttime on the other side of the world, but uh, we have a couple of disciples over there. Uh, Aren, he's married to a young lady named Asin. Aren and Asin are just crushing it. Uh, they're about to plant church number three. Met with a village chieftain this past week. He gave us three biggest of land to build a church and a community. Ninety families. Only eight of them are Christians. That's like a fishing hole that nobody's ever threw a lure in, I'm telling you. And about uh, three-fourths of that village will come to Christ here in, in a year or so. And uh, just you just can't imagine what's happening. Uh, we've got another disciple, uh, Koshil Ning and Ruth. And uh, we can't broadcast where they're at, but they're in a very dangerous place. And uh, they've got 15 disciples between the age of 18 and 25. They're discipling right now. Half are baptized, half are not baptized. They've got another 50 in another location, another 40 in another location, another 80 in another location. They're just lighting it up. They're begging us for discipleship material. So we've been working all week to hopefully by the end of next week get uh, electronic files to them. And uh, they're going to begin to translate into dialects and languages some of the curriculum that we use here to, uh, as a tool to help disciple people. I just want you to know God is at work, and, and I wish I had a way to communicate that with you every day, but I cannot post on Facebook some of these things because it puts their lives in jeopardy. But I just want you to know they're just, they're just crushing it for Jesus Christ. And uh, you should be very proud of what your disciples are doing overseas. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to be in the Old Testament mainly. The notes are in version if you want to follow along. And uh, I preached several weeks ago about uh, what the Old Covenant was about and what life is like living in the New Covenant. And to uh, that sermon, we're going to refer to it many times. Uh, many of the things in the Old Testament, many behaviors you see there should not be repeated, okay? Uh, the dietary law, the ceremonial law, those things have passed away. They're done. And Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that because a new covenant came in, it has made the old covenant obsolete. And the new covenant came in through the blood of Jesus Christ. You operate with a different set of uh, uh, boundaries, a different set of rules, if you would, in the New Testament. But the spirit uh, of the law is still in play. The moral law is still in play. Thou shalt not kill, thou, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those things are still in play. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Still in play. And we know those things are still in play because in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, Jesus referred to those things. Remember they said, what is the great commandment? Well, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So when he starts saying this is still in play, it's still in play. That's how we know because he kept quoting certain things from the Old Testament. Now, this mor I say that because this morning I'm going to talk to you about living in 2019 in America, but I'm going to go to an Old Testament passage to do it because the principles that are set forth in this Old Testament passage still apply to us. Uh, every week uh, the staff is reading kind of the cutting edge uh, surveys and, and data and research that's being done in America that constantly monitors things that are happening in our culture, how people are thinking, polls that are, be taking, that, have, that are being taken about religious things. And so as we hear how America is shifting culturally uh, uh, away from uh, the, the influence of Christianity, 
uh, messages like this become very important to us. Our grandparents enjoyed living in an America where Christianity was the dominating influence. Your, our grandparents enjoyed living in an America where Christianity was the dominating influence. It dominated our culture. It influenced our culture. And that's why the Ten Commandments being displayed were no big deal. That's why crosses being out in the public uh, arena were no big deal in past generations. That's why we prayed in school. When I, even when I was a kid, uh, uh, all of those things now you see coming, uh, uh, deteriorating, whatever, our culture shifting away from those things. So the label, uh, the societal label uh, that they label where America is right now is the term post Christian, after Christianity, okay? Christianity dominated our culture, and now the influence of Christianity is waning in our culture. So if you see in surveys or in polls where they talk about post-Christianity, doesn't mean there are no Christians left. It means that Christianity is not the dominating influence in our culture. And if you doubt that that is a true statement, then just go into the public arena tomorrow and express your, your views on biblical marriage, on, on biblical creation. Uh, just go and express your views on salvation through Jesus Christ as the only way to God the Father. <laughs> and you'll understand you live in post-Christian America because the backlash for being expressive about God-created, Christian biblical per, uh, concept of marriage and Jesus is the only, those things are almost not tolerated in the public arena right now. So the big question for us, our assessment question this morning is really this, how do we live as a minority in a culture that's predominantly pagan? Now again, your grandparents lived in a culture that was predominantly Christian. Now, now it's shifting, maybe shifted completely. So how do we live? How do we prepare our children to live? How do we prepare our grandchildren to live in a culture that will be predominantly pagan? Now, I enjoy watching Survivor uh, shows, uh, Bear Grylls, and, and uh, people thrown out into the woods, you know, and have to survive. And I, I've read a few things and done a little research about that. I love the outdoors. And uh, one of the things they'll tell you about surviving, you know, a plane crash in Alaska or surviving being stranded somewhere is you have to decide to be a survivor. A lot of surviving has to do with your, your, your mental processes uh, that you, you, you just say, I'm going to. I'm going to make it, okay? I'm going to get through this. And a lot of surviving uh, is, an, is a mental attitude. And if we look into our Bible, we'll find many examples of how Christians lived in pagan cultures. As a matter of fact, let me just be really clear with this. The whole New Testament was written to Christians who were dominated by pagan cultures. There was no Christian country. Does that make sense? Because Jesus had just started Christianity and the 12 disciples go like this and Paul takes the gospel up into Europe. They're they're all pagans. They're all idolaters. And the whole culture was dominated. As you read through the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches of Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, etc., That's why they're having riots in the city because people are coming to Christ and they're getting rid of their idols. Uh, They don't need them anymore. And so the people who make the idols are like, well, you're going to kill our economy. (laughs) That's how we make our money, by selling idols. 
And, and, and so they were dominated by these pagan cultures. And the New Testament talks continuously about how to live in a pagan culture. But this morning I want to go back to the Old Testament. Now let me remind you that uh, when you think of Israel, Israel in the Old Testament got divided into two kingdoms. Israel and Judah. Israel the north, Judah the south. Israel had like ten tribes, Judah had like two in the south, okay? And so there was a divided kingdom through much of the Old Testament. So when I say Judah, you just think the country of Israel and and you really get it, but they were divided into two uh, subgroups, if you would. And uh, the people of Judah living in the country of Babylon provides perfect context to what we're talking about this morning. There was a prophet that lived way back in the Old Testament whose name was Jeremiah. We call him the weeping prophet. And uh, Jeremiah preached to his contemporary generation in Judah. And uh, Jeremiah told them, he said, because you've turned, you're turning your, way, your back on God, you're turning away from God, God's going to judge you for this. And because you're, let uh, use post-Christian America, the further you drift from God, God's going to judge you for this. And in their context, Jeremiah prophesied. He said, I'm speaking for God now. Other nations will invade you because you've turned your back on God. And they're going to, they're going to, God's going to punish you through this invasion that the nations will come and invade you. And sure enough, it happened. And you guys know it happened because you've already read the Old Testament. In 605 B.C., uh, they invaded, the Babylonians invaded Israel, Judah specifically in the south, and carried a big group of Jews away captive. And you know this because of the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael are their Hebrew names, but they were kidnapped or enslaved, if you would, and they were carried as hostages back to Babylon, 605 B.C. Then a few years later, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar said, let's hit them again. And so in 597 B.C., the second invasion of Judah, Babylonians came and they took 10,000 hostages back to Babylon as slaves in the second invasion. Ten years later, Babylon, 587 B.C., invaded Judah one last time. And this would be the final nail in the coffin for the land of Judah. You remember Solomon's beautiful temple was there and all of these things. And it was a beautiful, uh, uh, old city of Jerusalem was beautifully built. And when they invaded the last time, 587, they came and utterly destroyed Jerusalem, uh, uh, looted the temple, knocked things down, just, just, just trashed the whole thing, and took another major group of people as hostage. Jeremiah the prophet was not taken as a, as a hostage or a slave. Uh, he remained in the land, and God began to speak to him, and he began to prophesy, and he began to write uh, what, he, what, what God wanted him to write. He wept, and now you understand why he's a weeping prophet. His nation just got trashed. Three invasions, temples busted up. I mean, everything's gone. And so he wept and cried and cried and wrote and wrote. And as he wrote, that became the book of Jeremiah, and Lamentations was also written by him. Those became the books that you have bound now in your Old Testament. And he, t- he wrote in those books to the people of the captivity now, those people who had been taken captive, tens and tens of thousands of them. He wrote to them these words from God and he instructed them how to survive the pagan culture of Babylon. 
how to survive in the culture you now find yourself in. So now imagine we're, we're from Judah and we've been taken as captives and we've been transported across the desert, across the rivers to Babylon where we've been enslaved. Now, they used them in all different kinds of, of labor and all different kinds of positions. Uh, but now we're a minority in a pagan land. Uh, we had a temple back in Judah and Israel. There is no temple for us to worship God in in Babylon. They're not a church. They're not nothing. There's not one place of worship we can go to to worship Jehovah God that we worship. But there are pagan temples everywhere. There are idols everywhere. And, and the gods of Babylon were built upon the, uh, all kinds of sexual immorality and pagan practices. And the pagans obviously way outnumbered the Israelites, the, the, the people of Judah. And they taunted them because they were the majority and the Jews were the minority. So they taunted them. They picked on them. They made fun of them. They poked at them all the time. You know, if your God's really God, look at you. You're a slave. We worship idols and we're your masters. Who's re- you see, I'm just poked at them all the time. As a matter of fact, part of the taunting is recorded in the songbook of the Old Testament. Let me show you. In Psalms 137, verses 1, here is part of the taunting. It was recorded in a song. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. It's Jerusalem. When we remembered Zion, we wept. On the willows there we hung our guitars. It's a stringed instrument, a lyre. The old KJV says harp, but it's like a closest thing they had to a stringed guitar today. We sat down by the river of Babylon and wept when we thought about Jerusalem. We took our musical instruments. You you see, Jeff, when you put it over here in the stand, it means I'm done. Nobody's playing it right now. It's hung up on on the willow right now. So when they said we hung our guitars on the willows, it means, well, let's just read it. For there our captors, verse 3, required of us songs. And our tormentors said, give us mirth. Play a song for us. Sing us the songs of Zion. What was their response? How, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a pagan land? You see, music, Jeff, comes from your heart. The lyrics come from your soul. You know, it comes out of you. They said, how, how can we sing a song? We're broken. We have no words. Gosh, when we think of Jerusalem, we just want to sit down and cry. When we think about what we lost, we just want to sit down and weep. But the tormentors kept poking them and said, sing us one of them Jew songs about, about Jehovah God. We'd like to hear what that sounds like. Come on, play us a tune. Come on, be happy. Sing us something. And they said, we just hung our guitars up. We could not sing. Now, let me just give you some warnings this morning. I don't want this to be heavy, but happy. Uh, But when you're the minority, you can expect to be taunted a little bit. Okay? Now, I want you to consider what that means for post-Christian America. When you're the minority, you can expect to be taunted. Okay? Christians throughout history have been taunted. Now, you have been the exception for 200 years in this country. Now we're going to get a little bitty taste of what the rest of the world has lived with for 2,000 years. You're going to be poked a little bit about your faith in God and your belief in Jesus Christ. So just, I'm not saying do anything with that, I'm just saying understand it, 
accept it, just settle down on that, and it'll be fine. We're going to be tormented some because we are in the minority. Now, uh, I'm going to confess some of my, my crimes. I have fallen in the past in the trap, and maybe you've fallen in the trap of taunting other Christians. There have been times in my life when I poked at other Christian groups, when I felt they deviated from Scripture and, and they weren't doing things the way they should be and maybe to speak against other denominations or other, other things. And, and the older I get, the more I realize when I do that, I'm acting just like the pagans. I'm acting just the way the unsaved people act, poking and poking and poking and taunting and teasing. And, and so I just want to say this to all of our congregation. I'm going to challenge all of us not to criticize other Christian groups. A friend of mine who pastors up in Arkansas comes from extreme... When you hear me talk about where I come from and my conservative, conservative upbringing, okay, and I always say things like, so I've got some baggage. When you hear me talk like that, uh, my twin brother up there in Arkansas uh, comes from the same background, and I saw him post last week uh, something about, listen... He said something like this. I've got friends who are Methodist and Catholic and Baptist and Church of Christ and, and Lutheran and Presbyterian. And he just listed a bunch of things. And he said, could everybody just not attack them? Well, as soon as he posted on that Facebook, then all the Baptists attacked him for being kind to the other Christian denominations. Does that make sense? We've got to get to a point of civility among us because you're not the majority anymore. Does that make sense? And so you're going to have to hold hands with your cousins, your Lutheran cousins and your Methodist cousins. You see what I'm saying? And you're going to have to learn not to poke at them. Yeah, we don't do everything the same, but can we all say we're on the same team? I mean, if you believe in Jesus Christ, by faith in, uh, your salvation is by faith in Jesus, we're on the same team. So we do a few things differently, and I can tell you why we do them the way we do them, and they can tell you why they do them the way they do them, but we're the same team. Quit poking at each other, and let's make disciples from among the pagans for Jesus Christ. That's the real mission that we have, okay? So Jeremiah didn't get taken captive. He sits down to write. He writes this letter, this book, uh, to tell the captives how to live in a pagan culture and in the letter he gives them six instructions six instructions from jeremiah chapter 29 on how to live in a pagan culture here we go really quickly number one you got to decide to live with them you you got you, you're going to have to live with them okay this is those i want you just to try to embrace these as we go let me read jeremiah 29 verse 4 thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles who i'm sending to exile from jerusalem to babylon Verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat the produce. So God's first directive to you living in a post-Christian culture is just live here. You say, well, I want to run away. No running away. You're here. Just live here, okay? Just live. You're a survivor. You didn't get killed. You haven't been martyred for your faith. Now act like a survivor. Decide that you're going to live and you're going to thrive and you're going to, to, to be salt and light to your generation and determine to live your life to its fullest. Now, I'll tie it into the New Testament. Jesus said the exact same thing in the New Testament. John chapter number 10. 
He said to them, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I want my followers to know really what living is all about. You've got to live, man. And you've got to live life to its fullest and, 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 and experience that. Now, uh, in John 10, he says, the thief, and that's a reference to Satan, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's a contrast statement. The thief comes to do this, I've come to do this. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, the Greek word for steal in this verse is klepto. Anybody understand that word? Kleptomaniac, just steal, steal, steals. It's klepto. Uh, it means just, just steal everything you've got cunningly, just picking pockets and taking. The devil just comes to take everything good out of your life that he can pull away from you. And to kill, it's not a word for murder in the Greek, surprisingly enough. In the Greek, it, it's the word thuo, which means to sacrifice. It means Satan's going to steal everything he can steal from you. And if he, can, if he can trick you, he'll get you to give everything else away. He'll get you to sacrifice it up. He'll get you to give it away. He's going to try to convince you to give up everything you love because he doesn't want you to have it. Now contrast that to what Jesus said. The thief does this, period, separate statement now. But I've come, I came, that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. In the Greek, those words more abundantly means to have and continually possess. Perisos. It actually means super abundant living. The devil wants to steal you, steal from you, hurt you, kill you, destroy you. I've come to give you life and let you live a super abundant, ongoing existence. You say, but we're living in Babylon. We're living in post-Christian America. It doesn't matter. The God that you serve is still in control and He can let you thrive even in a post-Christian culture. You see, that's what the Old Testament says. Daniel becomes the vice president of the country. Prime minister, whatever position you want to call the chief of the presidents. He was second only to the king. Joseph in a pagan land, becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Esther, in a pagan land, becomes the queen of Persia. You understand what's happening? God's saying, even though you're in a pagan culture, live! And I'll bless you even in a pagan culture if you will live for me. Satan wants to steal from you. I've come to bless you. Christian living is more than surviving. Now I do have a little baggage. When I used to, I used to sit with all the old great preachers of two generations past. When I was a child, I heard all the B.R. Lakins and Lee Robertsons and all these famous Tom Malones and all these guys sat in the same room with them. And that version of Christianity some t- didn't talk like this. Instead, they talked like retreat from the world and isolate yourself from the world and hunker down. We're not going to be here long. Jesus is going to take us out any minute. So don't save anything. Don't take care of your health. Don't take care of the planet. Don't take care of your body. Don't worry about it. You're leaving anyway. And I want you to know they were incorrect. That was wrong to preach. We could leave any minute, but we may not leave any minute. And the way we're going with some of our bodies, uh, you're heading for a hospital visit. You see what I'm saying? Uh, And if you don't prepare for the future, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a crisis. 
So God says, I want you to live. And, and Christian living in a pagan, pagan culture is more than just surviving. L- listen, we, God didn't save us so you guys could hunker down in the woods and hide and prep and build underground bunkers and, 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 and isolate yourself for the coming Armageddon. No. He called you to live. Build relationships. Build houses. Get into communities and live. God put you here in 2019 in post-Christian America so that you could rise like Esther for such a time as this and claim your place in history. You could be a light in a dark place. And we're going to take our place in history by living as disciples of Jesus Christ and making disciples for Jesus Christ whenever and wherever we can do so. And, and, and just to show you how this worked, Jeremiah is writing this letter to the captives in Babylon. Daniel's there, and Daniel gets these letters and decides to live for Jesus and decides to make disciples. And that's why 500 years later, some Persian steeds roared into Jerusalem. And a bunch of men got off those Persian steeds and said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. 500 years later, the Magi rode into Jerusalem. You know why? Because this letter, like this, got sent to to Babylon, and people like us living in Babylon read the letter and decided to live for God, even though we were in a pagan culture, and to make disciples, and to make disciples. 500 years later, those disciples rode into Jerusalem looking for Jesus Christ. Now, I just want you to know, be a difference maker. Be a difference maker. So what, what Jeremiah is saying is, don't live in a tent. No. Jeremiah 29 verse 5 build houses build houses you know what that means you're going to be here a while (laughs) you're going to be here a while build your house have a long-term outlook plant a garden Uh, you know one of the things about uh, growing things I'm not a good grower because I'm very impatient plant the seed walk out there tomorrow and see if anything's happened you know uh, being a farmer or uh, having a vineyard or an orchard, or you got to be patient. you got to be patient. And so you know what he tells them? Build a house, plant a vineyard, grow some trees, plant a pecan tree. You'll, you, you're going to be here long enough to get nuts off of it. Does that make sense? Plant some peach trees. You're going to be here long enough to enjoy many crops. Okay? Go, go ahead and plant some pear trees and plant you some grapevines. You're going to be here a while. God's ordained already 70 years that you're going to be here. So just enjoy, eat the fruit, build the house, and enjoy your life. Find you a good neighborhood to move into, ladies and gentlemen, and build you a home or buy a home. Get you a good job. No, don't get a job. I take that back. Find a career. There's a difference between a job and a career. Get you a good career. You say, well, I need it. Okay, well, then get you a good education and get you a good career. Go to trade school and get a good career. Because you're going to be here for a while, okay? And make some money or start a family business. That's always a good idea. Start a family business and teach your children to live among them, to live for Christ right where we are. Here's the second instruction. Multiply. Reading from verse 6. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not de Increase. Well, I like this. This is so practical. You know what God's message is to us living in post-Christian America? Have, some, have a big family. 
Have some children. Have some grandchildren. This is his message. Have some singles parties. Take your sons and introduce them to somebody's daughters. Take your daughters and introduce them to somebody's sons. And let your young women and your young men meet together and plan some weddings. And have big families. Uh, uh, I'm not talking about uh, just barely surviving. I'm talking about thriving. Listen, multiply your families and live abundantly. God knew that these people would be able to survive paganism. You should never wring your hands when you see these surveys and stats coming out about how America culture is moving away from God. Don't, I mean, it concerns you, but listen, don't, don't let it shut your, uh, flip your breakers, you know what I'm saying? Don't, don't let it shut you down in paralysis. God put you here knowing what America would be like in your generation. And he put you here to make a difference and take your place in history. He knew that maybe you would be the Esther, that you would make disciples for him right where you are. God knew that in 70 years he would, he would uh, deliver Israel, deliver Judah from Babylon and let them go free. Kings would pass and God would touch the heart of a king and he would sign the decree and release the Jews. Now God knew that was coming in 70 years. And so what God's saying to them is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a big nation to bring back into Judah. So do not decrease your population. Listen, build a house, plant a vineyard, have a bunch of kids. Now, I'm proud to announce to you that Cornerstone is doing their part on the baby having issue. So praise God. You, you guys are going, going after that, and that's, that's awesome. We have a bumper crop and another bumper crop coming, and I have no doubt a bumper crop coming after that. We ran a demographic study, uh, gosh, a few weeks ago with the data that we had. And I think our average age at Cornerstone is 33. So we're a young church. Uh, you, guys are, you guys are building your families right now. God's blessing your families. And, and God's message to you is this. Raise your kids to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you run out of that, adopt some more. Right, Damon? And then adopt some more. And if CPS calls, adopt even more. And uh, adopt some kids. Uh, some of you who have raised your grandkids, you, you now have a shot at your, grand, uh, your kids. You now have a shot at your grandkids. I see a lot of grandparents bringing their grandkids to church. Praise God for that. Be a strong influence in the lives of, of your grandkids and enjoy your family. Uh, by the way, we can enjoy larger families if we have strong careers that can financially support those larger families. Those things need to come together. So what I'm saying is, let's constantly be praying. I'm constantly praying for every family. And I'm saying, God bless them. God promote them. God give them that promotion at work. God move them up as they make career moves. God bless your people uh, with with abundance. Why? Because to to raise a big family and to be a a blessing, you, you need that. You need that flow into your lives. Here's number three. Be good neighbors. Be good neighbors, is verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, welfare can have a kind of a shifty meaning in America a little bit. So I want to put up a graphic for you and read this out of several versions. Let me start over here with the paraphrase. Work for the good of the city where I've taken you. Work for the good of the city. Pray to the Lord for that city. When the city prospers... You'll also prosper. ESV. 
This is the one I just read, NIV. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for your city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. NLT. Work, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for in its welfare will determine your welfare. Now you kind of get a sense really. Look at this NIV. Because if it prospers... You'll prosper. What, the rising tide lifts all ships. You, you know what I'm saying. You say, why should we care about our city? Because if it prospers, the Bible says, then you prosper. And if you want a lesson on this, we need to fly up and see Scott and Trafina in Pennsylvania and see what a Rust Belt city looks like and how the windows are broken out all over in the buildings and the streets are dark and the houses are falling down. And You know what I'm saying? And and you get a sense of, okay, things don't look good here. No, the wages are very low. You can't find a job. You guys walk through the streets of the beautiful state of Texas and jobs are everywhere. Houses are being built everywhere. Everything's new. The schools are new. The buildings aren't falling down. And you're just like, what, what's happening? One is thriving and one is not. One community is thriving and one is not. Do you want to be a part of a community that's thriving or one that's not? How simple is that? So God said, listen, I've put you there by my uh, providence. Pray for the city you live in because when it prospers, you will prosper. So what I'm saying to you simply is be good neighbors. Be, be a good part of your community. Uh, it, when it said pray for the peace of, it's the word shalom in Hebrew. And it doesn't just mean peace. It means peace prosperity, abundance, a great life. Listen, pray, pray for your community so that you would have a great life. Be a good neighbor. Meet the, meet the needs of your neighbors if you can. Use your home for ministry and disciple making if you can. Pay your taxes. Mow your yard. Take out your trash. When your trash can tumps over, pick it up out of your neighbor's yard. Be a good neighbor. That's what he's saying. Listen, if you want to be a blessing... To, to your city. Run for city council. Run for school board. Get involved with the community. You're going to be here a while. And if your schools are good, doesn't that bless your children? If your taxes are low, doesn't that bless your family? <laughs> That's what he's saying. God's saying, just, just think about it now. Plug in. Get engaged. Number four, pray for your community. It's the last part of this same verse. It says, and pray to the Lord on its, the communities, your cities." behalf now let me tie this in with what jesus said in the new testament you see they took you captive so he says pray for them they taunt you pray for them they're hostile to you pray for them you say but they mistreat me god says jesus says in the new testament pray for them matthew 5 44 but i say unto you love your enemies and pray for them <laughs> pray for those who persecute you i know some of you have a boss that torments you pray for their transfer pray that god would promote them to regional vice president of alaska i mean there's a lot of ways to pray wonderful loving prayers for those who who hurt you listen pr pray that god would change their hearts pray that god would give you peace in your relationship with them you, you, you see, have a walk around prayer time. 
Listen, I think physical health and spiritual health are sometimes very closely tied, more so than we think. We'll talk about this a little more later this year. I would encourage you to put on your tennis shoes and start walking around your neighborhood and do a walk-around prayer. And as you walk through the street saying, God, I know these people have a couple of kids. God, I pray those kids that come to know you say, just pray for their family and pray for their family and walk through the neighborhood and pray for them. And when people pass you on the sidewalk as they pass, you pray for those people I just passed, God, that I might have a way to engage with them and talk to them and make disciples of them. Just, we call that a walk-around prayer. Uh, you say, that's corny. A lot of our people who live in persecuted places that we're discipling do walk-around prayer. They walk around those pagan villages full of idolaters who want to hurt them. And as they walk around the city and they walk, they just pray, pray and walk, pray and walk, pray and walk, pray and walk. God, bring peace to our city. God, I pray that you bless our community. God, I pray that the demonic powers that, that are ruling this city will be brought down by the power of Jesus. I mean, they pray mighty prayers to the pulling down of strongholds in those communities. So I'd encourage you to do a little walk around prayer in your neighborhood. Pray for the economy. Pray for safety. Pray for peace. Pray for, pray, pray for the politics. Pray for the families in your neighborhood neighborhood on your street listen pray for the spiritual peace of the people in your neighborhood pray for the salvation of the people in your neighborhood pray that God would open a door and you could connect with the people in your neighborhood in a relational way that you might make disciples for Jesus Christ. pray for the welfare of your city now that's what God wants us to do in post-Christian America learn to pray for those around us number five filter your influences this verse eight for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, Judah's prophets, and your diviners that are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams they dream. Nine, it is a lie that they are prophesying unto you. Now, here's what God's saying. When you went into captivity and they took you hostage, they also scooped up a bunch of the prophets, false prophets of Israel are now in that multitude over there. And he said, there's people that got swept up into this over here, and they're talking, but they're not saying the truth. Do not listen to them, for they tell you a lie. Now, the way I want to translate this into our modern culture is simply this. Learn to filter voices. Learn to filter voices so that you're not deceived and taken off course. In Judah's day, it was the false prophets. And here's what the false prophets were saying. By the way, it's recorded. The false prophets told them, okay, we're in Babylon now, but don't buy a house, don't plant a vineyard, don't plant a pecan tree, because we're going to be leaving in about five minutes. In about five minutes, Jehovah God's going to come wipe these people out and, and cook them to cinders, and we'll be leaving here. Do not settle in, do not integrate, do not... Do not ha so they were saying that, but God was saying just the opposite. Does that make sense? And so Jeremiah wrote... And he said, those false prophets are telling you one thing. God's telling you exactly the opposite. The false prophets were saying, this isn't God's judgment. This isn't God's judgment. Jeremiah was saying, no, it is God's judgment. This is God's judgment on Judah. You're going to be here at least 70 years, says the Lord. Settle in for a while. So the way we would translate this into our modern New Testament, New Covenant Christian living is this. Guard your life against the bad influences. Be cautious of which voices you listen to. Does that make sense? There are a lot of voices in the world. And you cannot control the voices that come at you. You're just constantly bombarded by voices. But what you can do is you can choose which of those voices you want to listen to. Does that make sense? Now, some are coming and you're hearing, but you can just not take that to heart. 
decide which voices you want to take to heart. Let, let me give you a great illustration. Here's how Jesus said this. John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the shepherd, the gatekeeper will open. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he, the shepherd, goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. How do the sheep know his voice? They've tuned their ear to it. It's familiar. Does that make sense? They have history following that voice. That voice has led them to food for years. That voice has led them to water. That voice has risen up and protected the flock. That voice has taken care of the sheep. And their ears are tuned to that voice. Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice. He calls them by name. The gatekeeper will open, verse 4, and the shepherd will go before them. They will follow him, verse 5. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee. They'll run from a stranger for they do not know the voice of strangers. Here's my question to you this morning. What voices are you listening to? Well, Pastor, I was just listening to Benny Hintz. Why is my first question. Why? You know? Well, I was just listening to the guy at the Faith Healing Chapel the other day. Why? Why? Don't, don't, don't listen to voices that confuse you. Don't listen to voices that you know run contrary to, to the Word of God. Learn to filter the voices. If you're allowing, uh, let me say it this way, if you listen to someone's voice, you're allowing them to have influence over your life. How's that? If you're listening to their voice, you're allowing them to have influence over your life. And again, you're not in control. There's, there's voices coming at you like crazy. You're not in control of the background noise, but you are in control of which voice you'll tune your ear to. And if you want to have super abundant living, if you want to live with peace and joy, then listen to the voices that minister peace and abundance into your life. Listen to the voices that are following Christ and being changed by Christ and being on the mission of Christ. Listen to the voices that have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Filter your influences. That's what he told him. You're in Babylon. You're going to have to learn to tune those nut jobs out and tune in to the prophet Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. That's what he said. Jesus says, same thing in the New Testament. You're going to have to tune out the scribes, Pharisees, uh, and all their man-made rules. And you're going to have to tune in to the voice of Jesus Christ that's calling you by name. And here's our last thought. Look to the future. Look to the future. Let me read verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, back into the land of Judah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. You guys in the sound booth, can you go back to verse 11, please? For I know the plans I have for you. This is a famous verse. 
Man, if you want to memorize a great verse, do you struggle with depression or hopelessness or that nobody cares or nothing good's ever going to come or, or things are just always going to be bad or it's always going to be like it is right now or I, I I'm just doom and gloom? And, and, and If you're a pessimist, you need to memorize Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Let me read it again. For I know, it's God speaking, for I know the plans I have for you. First of all, God knows the plans he has for you, which means God has plans for you. He's taken note of you. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what's going on. He knows what's happening in your career. He knows what's happening in your family. He knows what's happening in your heart. He he knows the joys you're going through and the sadness you're going through. And he says, I know you and I have plans for you. What kind of plans? Plans for welfare and not for evil. Not that he's going to put you on food stamps. That's not what that means. His plans are for your well-being. His plans are for your prosperity. His plans are for your success. I have a plan for your life, and it's a good plan, not an evil plan. I have good plan for you, and I want you to know you have a future. Isn't it good to, to be in the house of God this morning and know that God has a future planned for you? How cool is that? Now, what we'd like is we'd like to have it pop into our email box later this afternoon so we could see what it is. And it doesn't work that way, but God has a future planned for you. And because of that, that last word right there, hope. You know, it's hard to live without hope that things are going to be good and that God has a victory for you and that God has plans for you. He said, I want you to come to the house of God and have hope this morning because I know you. I know your name. I have plans for you. I have a big thing planned out and you're going to be the blessed recipient of it. If you came to God's house this morning to worship and maybe coming to the house of God is something you knew, maybe this is what Christians do, this is what I've always done, but you don't know him as your personal savior, then why don't you become one of those sheep of his flock this morning? Why don't you call upon him to save you today and say, I want to be a part of that family. I want, to, I want, to, I want, to, I want you to know my name and I want to listen to your voice and I want to be a part of your family I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's done by a simple prayer of faith where you bow your head and you just transfer your trust to Jesus Christ and you receive him by faith into your heart. Uh, If you've never done that this morning, I'm going to volunteer Alan. He's sitting right there. If you've never done that this morning, he's going to be sitting right up here anywhere in the next few minutes. You can slip out of your seat and just come and Poke his shoulder, like poking a bear a little bit, but poke his shoulder and just say, Mr. Allen, pray with me. He knows exactly how to pray with you to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I want you to see something. Put these up real quick. Here's the six things that God commands us to do living in a pagan culture. Live with them. Multiply. Be good neighbors. Pray for your community. Filter the voices, filter the influences, and look to the future because God has a plan for you. Now, as you look at those six things, which one of those things does God impress upon your heart that you need to do? Which one of those six things does God say right there, this is what I have for you this morning? Focus on it for just a moment. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me take the whole congregation in prayer for a few moments.
Whichever of these things God has for you, I wish you'd just spend a moment with him right now. And you just say to God, God, I've been living so isolated. I realize I, I, I need to settle in here to the community and I need to live with my neighbors and I need to live in community. Listen, maybe God's speaking to you about multiplying, not, not just biologically, but spiritually and making disciples. Maybe God's speaking to you about, have you been a good neighbor to your neighbors? And all that goes with that. You filtering, filtering the post-Christian voices out. When your teacher says God didn't create, there was a big bang. Just filter that out. Just filter that out, okay? Just filter it out. When they tell you that a baby isn't a human being, just filter that out. Just filter that out, okay? That's post-Christian America speaking. When the governor of Virginia says, just kill them after they're born, doesn't matter. Just filter that nonsense out. That's not the voice of God. Filter it out. Look to the future. Are you a perpetual pessimist? Stop it. It's not compatible with New Testament Christianity. Stop it. Look to the future. God has a future plan for you. A future of blessing and hope. Not an evil future. Good. He's planned good for you. And all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. All right, if you need to pray just for a moment, I'm going to ask you just to slip out of your seat and come and pray. If you need to receive Christ as your Savior, Miss Susan, Alan right here, Miss Leah's right here, they can pray with you. Which one of these six things is God speaking to you about? Certainly every one of us could practice number four right now. Pray for your community. Why don't you just pray for your community right now? Pray for the blessing of your city, for in its welfare you will have welfare. In its prosperity you will have prosperity. As we pray, let me, let me give you a simple prayer to pray. And you can just take some of my words and maybe you want to rearrange them a little bit. But let's just pray together right now. Lord. I'm thankful that you gave me real life, a life worth living. You didn't save me to live the rest of my life in defeat. You didn't save me to live in poverty. You didn't redeem me so that I could be sick and depressed and sad. You came to give me life and life more abundantly. And God, I am determined to live that life that you promised me. God, forgive me for allowing the devil to talk me out of the blessings that you have for me. God, bless me. Bless my family. God, I confess that my life is filled with extraordinary blessing. I'm blessed because I belong to you. God, give me zest for life. Give me an abundant life. Give me hope for tomorrow. Give me an overflowing life in Jesus Christ. I claim that. I'm going to live that. 
This is my prayer in Jesus' name.